This week's episode of The Debrief by Lethal Minds Journal is brought to you by FieldSeats.com. FieldSeats.com is an e-commerce federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, and at the end of the review, they give away the firearm being reviewed to an attendee. Each item reviewed is given away for free as part of their promotion for purchasing what they call a field review. Currently, they've got field reviews up ranging from $20 for a brand new Smith & Wesson M&P Shield 2.0 to $65 for a new IWI Galil Ace Gen 2. Each review is limited to around 38 people, so your chances of winning the giveaway are like that much higher. Use code LETHALMINDS to receive 10% off your entire purchase at FieldSeats.com. Check out FieldSeats.com to purchase your field reviews and enter the win, the firearm or item being reviewed, and use code LETHALMINDS to get 10% off your order. Be sure to also check out their Instagram and Twitter at Field underscore Seats if you want to go ahead and give them a follow to see what upcoming items they have. Welcome, everybody, to the debrief of Lethal Minds. That's what this is. This is a debrief of two Lethal Minds, John Daly and Worth Parker. They are joining me, your host, uh, Nathan Gladden, Master Nathan Gladden, United States Air Force. Uh, these uh, these two gentlemen uh, have retired from the United States Marine Corps, one enlisted and one officer. And we'll dive into that. Those will be a big, heavy part of the discussion is kind of that dynamic and those different things. I think we do a good job. I think it's important to understand uh, that as we do this podcast, the debrief podcast, what I want to continue to do is try to bring people on, give you that formal right up front so you know like kind of who they were. And then after that, we're going to dive into just some real shit. We're going to talk about it. Uh, and the idea is if you're listening to this, if you're serving, if you're getting ready to ship off the boot camp, uh, you're getting ready to go off to, uh, to officer training school, whatever the case may be, whatever version they call it in your branch, then I hope that this will help. That is what the purpose of this is. This is a debrief from a aviator standpoint, from an air crew standpoint, debriefs are some of the most important things we can do. Uh, and if I'm honest, a good debrief, uh, has a beer in hand or a whiskey or something like that. Uh, but that's what this is. This is for you to actually learn from. This is not PME in a standard way. Uh, this has not been um, polished and perfected. This is two awesome individuals who I highly respect joining me for an episode to talk about transition from military life to civilian life. Uh, talk about the dynamics uh, of the officer to enlisted, um, the differences, where we fail, where we succeed. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about that, you know, a little bit of leadership and mentorship. This is real though. This is, this is real shit guys. So I hope you enjoy this. We're going to dive in. These are our opinions, right? This is, this is our version of military. This is what works for us. Doesn't, doesn't work for us. Uh, and this is what happens. And for me, somebody who is in that final year, uh, before I retire, it's very, very important that I learn from those who I'm about to have said that I served with instead of serve with. So I'm very excited. Join uh, join me in uh, listening to John Daly and Worth Parker. Here we go. 
Uh, I'm excited uh, to be on here with uh, John Daly um, and uh, be on here with uh, Russell Worth Parker. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves, but I will say this, Worth, you told me something, and I've heard you say it. You said it with me when we recorded a podcast. I've heard you say it. I used this the other day in TAPS when I went to uh, TAPS, um, and somebody said something, and I said the best thing about – because there was a couple people that were like – you could tell they were in panic mode, right? So this was a senior enlisted and senior officer is how the TAPS was broken out. I don't know how it was for you guys, but that's how it was for – Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it was, yeah, so it was that. And so it was the senior, you know, senior taps. Um, and I could tell a couple of them were a little bit panicked. And I just was like, well, remember, uh, we don't have fuck you money, but we have fuck that money. Cause I've heard you say that. And I said that, yeah. and there was a room of like 35, 40, I think it was 43 of us or something like that. I thought that was the greatest thing. Apparently saying that out loud uh, in <laughs> that forum was not the thing to do. Um, so, you know, whatever, but either way, that's yeah, still fuck them. Yes. The difference yeah, between them. air force, I think tap and uh Marine Corps tap probably, probably there was one Marine in there. There was one Marine, one <laughs> coast guard, one, uh, one Navy, no army. And the rest were all air force. But the one Marine, I was just like, he didn't seem offended by it at all. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Marine, he tabs, it would have been like, Oh yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Right on. It's pretty good. With that, gentlemen, exactly I was you. fucking thinking, dude. <laughs> That's exactly. Uh, we, right. The other thing is, is, you know, as Marines, we need like no money to say fuck you. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we've right. been getting told fuck you for so many years. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, with that, I'll let you gentlemen introduce yourselves. Uh, the one time will be formal, and then after that, we're gonna have some fun and, and jump into this chat for uh, for Lethal Minds. All right. Sounds All right. good. Well, I'm. Uh, John Daly, retired master sergeant. I spent twenty, almost almost twenty two years in the Marine Corps. Um, retired in two thousand and eight. Uh, most of my time was in a, a sniper platoon and then in force reconnaissance platoons or special operations. Um, you know, since I retired, I rolled straight into the same job that I had as a civilian now. So I continue to work with the Marine Corps special operations training. Um, future special operators there you go i thought you were gonna i thought you were gonna say that you're like now your job in the civilian world is this is a sniper still to just take people i was like (laughs) okay good for you that's good yeah that would be cool but no (laughs) Uh, so uh yeah my name is is russell worth parker i go by my middle name worth which tends to weird people out um i'm a retired marine lieutenant colonel i spent 27 years as a marine about 22 of that is active uh or in some in active stat, whatever on active status. Um, I worked with John. Um, my history started like John's in a sniper platoon, and then I went to force reconnaissance, and then from there, when we stood up Marsoc, we were there, kind of about opening day together almost, um, and uh, and then we met over a shared love of ultra endurance running. Um, and so did that for years. And then in 2014, uh, we started working together. Uh, I was the XO of the Raider Training Center when John was, was and is the director of training and education. So we had next door offices and what was friendship also became a, a working relationship. And now we hang out. There you uh, go. And I, I retired in 2021, as I say, with about 22 years, identical to John. Yeah, and I retired as master sergeant. I didn't uh, I don't think I said that. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Master Sergeant in the Marine Corps is... Yeah, the Master Sergeant in the Marine Corps is a little different than uh, Master Sergeant in the Air Force, as I am. So uh, I think one of those requires you to actually, uh, you know, uh, be gritty and tough and all those other things. And the other one is mine, where it's just like, hey, you know, just kind of tag along and don't do anything stupid. Smart and organized and know what the hell you're doing and, you know. (laughs) Keep an aircraft in flight. Uh, yeah, kind of important. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it can be different. That keeping them in flight thing has been uh, that has been a big challenge over the years. So uh, so far, so good. But it uh, it is a challenge. So I, my flying days are yeah, over. Well, the though. day that you, the day you do your job poorly is probably going to be more catastrophic than the day John and I ever goof anything up. So I tell you what's funny. It, it all worked out. That's probably the best advice I got. Um, actually. It, it, you know, this, this conversation, some of this conversation will be, you know, obviously transition and stuff like that. Cause I think it's important for, you know, those who are going to, whether it's four years in or whether it's 24 years and it doesn't matter. It is an important part. And that's why I wanted to have you guys on for that. But also I think you just said something. It's important too that the, the dynamics, the enlister, the enlisted, the officer dynamics, those different, you know, different ways we got to get around that and we got to go through it and absorb it and struggle and all is the, there's a million different ways to look at it. Right. But one of the things on the whole, like have a good day, have a bad day. I was very, very, very early on flying. And it was ironically uh, a former Marine who had become an air force pilot. So he, he was just like, I'm done chewing crayons. I just want to sniff them. Uh, And so he switched over from flying C one thirties in the Marine Corps into the uh, air force. And I was, I was young, man. I was a, I was very, very new as a flight engineer. Um, So I was a, I was an E five and, um, you had to do like some other job before you could become a flight engineer on a C-130. And that was a requirement. And so I've been a crew chief turning wrenches for years, learning that before I switched over. So I was pretty nervous on one of our first trips. And he goes, do you know the, he's like, do you know the key to all of this and just being successful? And I was like, well, he's like, make sure that your worst day is not the same as my worst day and we'll still land this plane. And I was like, uh, okay. And he's like, just pay attention to your pilots. And when they're having their off day, back them up. And then when you have yours, they'll back you up. And I was like, okay, it kind of like relieved the stress. It also was like, that's good advice. Don't both of us yeah. suck on the same day. Okay. <laughs> you know, he and I were just talking about a, a guy that we both know who's his rule uh, as a senior enlisted leader is you can only break one rule at a time. That's right. <laughs> and if you're never breaking more than one rule, you're probably going to be probably okay. Are. That's right. Um, you know, uh, yeah. and it was good. Like, if you're going to be outside without your cover on, you can't have your hands in your pockets. Uh, <laughs> was right. one of his examples. You can only do one of those. Uh, <laughs> That's what's the old? Uh, it's the inglorious bastards that Brad Pitt line at the end. Nah, I'll probably just get yelled at. I've been yelled at a lot when he, get, you know, when he's going to get in trouble at the end when he's cutting the swastika in the Nazi's head. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Um, so I, I got a couple things I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, you know, this isn't, you know. I had a couple of people reach out after the first podcast, uh, you know, for the for the debrief with, uh, with Matt Perry and, and Trent Signaler. And I had a couple of them reach out. And they're like, hey, that's cool. We'll get more into like the stories. And I was like, bro, there's a million places you can go listen to fucking war stories. That's not what this is. It's trying to give tangible information. It's trying to help those coming up. It's those getting out. It's all those different things. And right. So I want to kind of keep the context of that inside of that. I know we'll get into some examples. Because there's a couple things that I do want to talk about, and one we'll stick we'll stick off the transition for a second, but it's uh it's the O's and the E's. I kind of told you guys, like I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit, right? And that's why I like having guys from different backgrounds. It's the uh like the where do the officers and the enlisted fail each other most often? 
Like, I think that's an important thing, right? For those, maybe they're going up from E4 to E5, um, E60. For us, E60, E7 is a very, very big jump. Um, I, you know, for you guys, it may be a little bit different, but, uh, and then on the O side, you know, I've, I've said it before. I think that, I think the O4, O5 level uh, is, it is the level where you can sh- either propel your entire organization forward or you can strangle it and just choke it off from senior leadership at the very, very highest levels all the way down to the very lowest levels. And so I think those those dynamics of that E6, E7, that dynamic of that 04, 05, that's a really uh, interesting place in the career and in the rank. And I'm just curious, like from your perspective, like where do the O's and the E's fail each other uh, most often? Good question. Um, I think in my you know, growing up largely in a, a smaller units, uh, force reconnaissance and special operations units, there's, and that's really what I can speak to. So, you know, my ability to talk to the, the, the infantry, you know, I spent my time in the infantry was as a, an E3, E4. So I, I was still figuring out, you know, how to tie my, tie my shoes. Right. But, uh, you know, becoming a leader in a, a small force reconnaissance team, I think is, is challenging from the regard that the, at the enlisted level, you're incredibly tight and the officers coming in are viewed as like summer help. That's the joke, right? Yeah. The guys got to come in, do a deployment and the, um, and so there's a tendency if, if I could go back in time and do one thing different or better, it would have been, uh, There were there were times I didn't undermine, but there were times when I didn't do as much to to build up the the officer that that was my boss, you know, my platoon commander. Um, you know, there were there were times when I would, uh, you know, I, I should have uh, provided counsel, you know, and, and if he took it, great. If he didn't, so Roger that. Your charge is what we're going to do, um, and I tried to do that. I, you know, I think most occasions, but. Uh, I think I would, you know, I, I was thinking about this recently that uh, it was a lot of, a lot of times when I'd go back to the team leaders, you know, and tell them, Hey, we're, you know, you know, not, we're doing this, but Hey, I don't know fucking know why, but the captain says we're doing this, you know, and I, I think that distinction is, is uh, something I wish I could go back and, and do again. You know, I think that is a weakness as a, as a enlisted leader. So yeah. I think that's a great, segue then for me to kind of come in from the O side. I mean, John and I's careers really did parallel each other so closely um, over the years, except that I was on the O side and John was on the East side. And I was summer help um, almost by design. I used to really take umbrage at that title because I was like, hey, I'm dedicated to this. Uh, last time I checked, I was running up like med school at Amphrecon School right along with the rest of you. Um, in fact, I, I think I remember pulling a, a couple of you lances and PFCs up the hill because that was my job. Um, I don't take, I mean, one, I'm retired. I don't take umbrage at much of anything anymore, but I, I don't get my feelings hurt about that anymore because it's the truth. Um, and, and I say that more the truth because yesterday I was sitting at the Intrepid Spirit Clinic with two guys I've known for 15 years, one a master sergeant, one a warrant officer, and we were talking about TBIs and explosions. And I was saying, yeah, I, I had a good number of TBIs, but I don't have a... You know, M M two fifty cal AT four Carl Gustav seven deployments to Western Afghanistan level of TBIs. Right. I have 
16 documented TBIs, which is probably a lot, but I have a master sergeant friend who has 65. Um, and so I never lose sight of the, yeah. the fact that, you know, there are burdens that officers carry that enlisted folk do not. There are absolutely burdens that enlisted folk carry that officers don't know anything about because I, we get to go take a vacation. Right. And I say that with a little bit of, you know, facetiousness. My three years in the Pentagon was not a vacation. It was not fun. But it wasn't Carl Gustav rockets to the side of the head. It That's wasn't right. the Taliban shooting. It. Um, and so recognizing that, you know, officers can fail in regards of, of failing to recognize the constancy of what we ask our enlisted folk to do, that we rotate in and out on these three-year bases where we get to go do something different, or we go to command and staff college for a year of, quote, downtime, which isn't, but it is, again, an academic environment. It's a not getting shot at environment. It's not yelling at anyone environment. Um, and that does not happen uh, for enlisted folks in the way that it should, in my eyes. Um, I'll talk about, you know, the Marine Corps and my theory of their conspiracy against educating the enlisted population um, on another, another podcast. But, uh, but I think that's one thing. I think if you, again, to follow in Tracy John, as I often do, um, as a lieutenant, I was too close to my enlisted Marines. The goodness of that is I'm still good friends with those people 25 years later, and we all hunt together, and we check in on each other, and I write them references for jobs. The bad thing was it made it harder for me to be a good, objective leader. Probably not a problem pre-9-11. Post-9-11, I, I can remember saying to a guy who's a lieutenant colonel now, but was one of my sergeants, hey, man, I would never allow myself to get as close to an enlisted Marine as I got to you. Mm -hmm. Because when we were doing things where people were actively shooting at us, that could have jacked with my judgment. Or had you gotten killed, mm -hmm. I would have lost my best friend. Mm -hmm. um you know and and so I, I think honestly where one place where officers fail their enlisted folk is ironically caring getting too close to them you can't care too much but you can get too close and too familiar so i, I think that's one i think not recognizing the sacrifices that the enlisted folk make uh to the significant level that we should is another and then i would say to flip that where do enlisted people fail officers uh, John made mention of it. Like I've said this to some of my senior enlisted friends at the time. Hey, brother, you got all the answers, but none of the responsibility. Mm -hmm. Whereas a second lieutenant is imbued by the Senate mm -hmm. for, with the responsibility for that unit. And if everything goes, goes wrong, mm -hmm. it's the officer's head that gets cut off. And I've said that about officers before. I was like, hey, he's a good dude. We got to cut his head off because that's his job. That's not right. His job. That's my responsibility. And I'll be fair, but it's how it is. And that's a recognition that, you know, guys sometimes have to go, yeah, I think this guy's an idiot, but he gets to be an idiot. And I have to try and make the most out of his idiocy as possible and try to make him look good in the process. And that's an area that, that enlisted folk can, can fail their officers. And I think the inverse of that, and particularly special operations, and we were just talking about this earlier this morning, is that, uh, you know, we, the enlisted guys, particularly view themselves as problem solvers, you know, so if there's a problem, solve it, you know, without first answering the question, is it my problem to solve, right? Do I have yes. the authority to solve? Or is it, you know, the, the, the team commander, the, the team leader, whatever the officers, 
Is he, is he the person who legitimately has the responsibility, the authority to, to solve this problem? So because, you know, when you start solving problems that aren't yours to solve, you don't have the authority, you know, sometimes you can solve them in ways that maybe not, be, you know, may not be as ethical or as um, well thought out um, as, as necessary. And, you know, when it comes out that, that hey, the, the way you solve that problem fit some rules, then, you, you know, ultimately the responsibility is, is going to be on the, the, the officer in charge. So, yeah, that's... Uh, a tendency that we we talk a lot both with our, our officers to keep an eye out for and our enlisted guys and special operations to to cognize of that just because you've got a solution doesn't mean it you know it's, it's your problem right. to, to solve. Well, I think with oh go ahead go ahead Worth. no no please you continue I think we beat that horse pretty good no well I mean it honestly like it's it's a it's a horse worth beating. Um, but uh, no, I, it's funny. Like that kind of, I think of it from the standpoint of like something, you know, two things that come up one um, from a standpoint of flying. Right. And so you're talking about the officer and the enlisted, you know, like I can only talk about the aircraft I've flown on different ones, but it's always been a mixed crew, right? It's obviously officer and enlisted flying for obvious reasons I've enlisted. Uh, but, you know, the 130, which is where I spent the primary amount of my years flying, um, that is a crew, like if you're downrange, that's a crew of three and three, which is a very interesting dynamic, right? You have three officers, you have three enlisted, right? So you have three officers sitting in the flight deck with a flight engineer. So it's me and three officers. And in the back are two load masters that are taking care of anything and everything. If there's something that we're dropping and, you know, out the back to, to you guys, it's them, you know, responsible for all of it. They are the technical experts of it. They know all of the things about it, everything, right? All they really need. I mean, the job of the pilot during that portion is to just make sure he's got the right deck angle and just keep that bad boy at the speed and the altitude he's supposed to. And then they've, they've rigged everything. It will, gravity will take care of the rest. They will, they will handle it. Right. And so there's an issue they're in charge, like th those kind of things. Right. So it's an interesting dynamic, but I think one of the big things I used to try to tell with my guys is I'm like, Hey, listen, there's going to be moments when you're going to have to be the conscious of the crew, right? There's going to be moments when you're going to have to be all these different things. But at the end of the day, you're supposed to be as a flight engineer, the technical expert of systems on the airplane. You are supposed to, you also are the choreographer. You're usually the ones with the checklist. So you're actually like running everything, calling for the next thing, doing all that, which is an interesting dynamic. The officers are doing it. You're calling for it and they're doing it and everything else. Um, but I would always tell my guys, I'm like, at the end of the day, on our orders, on the crew list of people that are going out the door, there's an A, and it sits right next to the aircraft commander. It's the A code. He has the A code. At the end of the day, he's the one that's answering for it. If we if we burn it into the ground, it's his or her fault. If everything goes well that day, I mean, yeah, it's a team effort. But at the end of the day, his calls are what you know. His calls are her calls. That's what made it happen. They're the A code. And I would always tell my people, I'm like, no matter what you do, no matter what happens on the airplane. At no point are they ever going to put that A next to your name. So remember that. So when you're thinking that they're doing a terrible job and they're doing all this, unless they're going to kill you, you need to find a way to back them up technically. They can fuck up, but if they don't kill us, we'll deal with it on the ground. They're not wrong while we're flying unless they're going to kill us. Back them up. Like that A code is the ultimate. It's a letter and it's the ultimate. Like guaranteed that person's in charge of that would tell the other officers that too. So in our, in our brief, or I say our brief, when we would get, when I would go on a deployment and we'd have our crew, cause you fly together as a crew, I would tell everybody, I would tell the other O's and the E's as well. I mean, like, listen, I'm the technical expert on the airplane and you guys are O's and I'm a, I'm, this is a crew airplane, but I'm telling you right now, 
if shit goes sideways, this A code, I'm backing them until they're dead. So I will tell you if you're wrong and I will tell you if you need to be quiet. That person right there, they're in charge. And I will back them until until I need to take the airplane from them and give it to the other pilot officer. And they would be like, okay. And they'd look at me weird. And then we'd get into things and they'd be like, oh, okay, shit, that makes sense. So, but. So I will say there's an officer side to that coin. And this is where, where officers fail their enlisted or, or I would say inhibit the performance of their enlisted. Um, as an officer, and I used to say this very publicly all the time once I was an XO, and I spent the last uh, da, 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 six, six, almost the last, yeah, the last eight years, seven years of my career as an executive officer of some sort, either in one of two different 06 commands or three years as the XO to air, a succession of Air Force three stars. Um, and that's all great experiences. I learned a ton when I was an XO running a staff. And running the you know operations of a staff, uh, I used to say all the time, I'm not an expert on anything except experts. And and my job is to orchestrate the movement of experts. So mm-hmm. when I was an XO the first time, which I had avoided for 20 years because I didn't want to deal with XO things, I like dealing with OPSO things. Um, we had to suddenly do things like you know maintenance inspections. I find maintenance excruciatingly boring. Um, and yeah. I had to get the E4s and E6s and E8s to teach me what I needed to know, lest I be a catastrophic failure. You know, and I didn't even know, like a lot of times they would say words and I would be like, I don't know what that word even means. <laughs> so just, you got to train me. And then I also, honestly, and I say this to any officer that might listen, I would play that up too. I play my ignorance because Marine soldiers, sailors, air folk, Guards or Coast, Coast Guard's personnel, your enlisted folk are the experts, and they deserve the chance to demonstrate that. And Absolutely. so as an officer, you better be real good at asking probing questions, because it could well be your ass if you've got somebody who's lazy about being an expert in their job, and you better learn how to figure out people. But you're not an expert. You, you're just not. You're not an expert on any weapon system. You're not an expert on any aircraft. You're not an expert on anything except... If you're a pilot, maybe the technical application. Otherwise, employment of experts and getting them all moving in one direction. And so recognizing that they are expert and letting them be experts. And if that E3 proves himself, I think back to a kid we had uh, in, my, in the second battalion I was in. And he was a lance corporal and he was a communicator operating in an in a E3, filling an E6's billet during the Marine Corps combat readiness evaluation, which back then was the big, big deal for a battalion, whether it was a good battalion or not. And this, this kid was specifically cited as one of the best three things about the battalion that we were in. Um, because the battalion commander, who was phenomenal, knew the kid, knew he could, could work hard, knew, he did, knew what he was doing, and let him run. Um, and, and he did an amazing job. I will caveat that and say the Marine Corps kicked him out for being fat, um, <laughs> which is just the most Marine Corps story ever. Yeah. Um, that was we, we cut off our, our fat nose to, to spite our skinny face. Um, <laughs> in that case, he was a, he was a great guy. He's a great Marine. And it, it, it sucked the way it ended. But he was awesome. They basically gave him a medal and kicked him out the same day. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. it, 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 but I, I mean, we, they let that kid be an expert. 
Um, and that's big. John, you know, I, I, I don't know ballistics. I don't know wind tables. I don't, yeah. I don't know these things. I know how to employ snipers. I've done that. Yeah. I know where they need to be. I don't know how they do what they do when they get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real thing, right? Like that's a, like, that's a real thing. Like that be, you know, it's, um, it's Charlie. I will, I will say his name, Charlie motherfucking Pickett. That's how he would introduce himself. Uh, that was the Marine became an air force pilot. Like we went on the first uh, TDY I ever went with him, and like something's going on. And I was saying one thing and another flight engineer was saying another thing. And that turned into a wild dynamic. But I felt like I was right and this other guy, but then I tried to dive in and explain these things, right? And as I did, he goes, hey, I'll never forget Charlie goes, y'all shut the fuck up. I don't need to know anything about what makes that dog's tail wag. I don't give a shit about any of that. If I put this airplane in the air and one of you's right and one of you's wrong, and I listen to one that's wrong, do we die? And both of us were like, well, no. And he's like, then who gives a fuck right now? Let's go do the airplane. Let's just fly the airplane. I was like, yes, sir. Okay. And that was yet another thing. But it was like that kind of thing, right? Where he was like listening, like, these are my experts, but they're not going to kill us. Okay, cool. Sounds good. But I like that dynamic, right? Of like those different things you have to. And it's funny. I have, you know, I have this little book I keep with me. So I keep this little folder with me in my my staff gig that I'm doing right now that I'm finishing my career on. And they're trying to make me, um, you know. They're driving me to an excessive amount of drinking, if you will. And by military standards, that could be dangerous. But uh, but on the side, I have notes to self. I have this little thing right here. And the top one, it says, be this me or find this me. And I've thought, if I'm completely honest, I think um, maybe the best thing I've ever done in my senior enlisted time is try to make sure that no matter what, I don't try to be this me. I try to find this me. Because like, and I I think that has probably been the thing that's helped me help uh, the officers that I'm working for the best. Is I try to always constantly be like, yeah, no, that you want to talk to this person, and I may know that answer, but I know that like I know the answer because I did the job, and I also know that somebody else is doing the job right now. Which means all I need to do is know how to find that person to bring them to that to them so they can talk. And that excels them that much further ahead. Like it shows them like, oh, there's a future of other things out there that I need to get ready for. But it also at the same time, it's like, this is the actual no bullshit SME for this thing. Like you, I, I can find them for you, sir. I'm the expert in finding that person. That's my job as the senior enlist that I can get, I can find you the answer. But if I can, like, let me actually let the answer be what this person is saying. And then that yeah. SME needs to understand that if that officer you bring him or her to says, yeah, I've listened to you and I don't care. We're still going to do it this way. Correct. We're going to do it that way. Which yes. is happening right now on one thing. And I'm like, yes, sir. Okay. Although I feel like recognizing that is tough for young officers and senior enlisted, you know? So, mm-hmm. the, you know, with young officers recognizing sometimes it's been my experience that it's, you know, that they need to listen to this fee is, is tough. Um, and then, you know, as for me, speaking from experience, you know, as I started uh, growing and, and kind of thought I knew everything is, uh, you know, an E-78, then it uh, it took a little bit. You know, I think I had to reach a kind of a plateau where I, I realized that again, right, that, hey, you know, I I don't have all the answers. Uh, and, and particularly, you know, it's quite likely that a lot of the answers that I do have are, are out of date, you know. So, yeah, getting going down and getting the uh, and I still have to I think I, I've finally gotten over that, you know, as uh guy that's been retired for 14 15 years and and i'm gonna flip your question around now for a minute okay and say like how not how we fail but how we make each other successful 
Um, and I, I can say, I think I had the platoon sergeant that the Marine Corps led me to believe I would have when I was at the basic school. You know, one of the things they do, they bring like a panel of E9s in and they blow you up and make you think like, yep, everybody that I work with is going to be these sergeants major and these master gunnery sergeants. And they're all going to be amazing. And they're all deeply imbued with caring about my success. And no one has a drinking problem and no one beats their wife. Um, <laughs> and it's that, true. Right. And then I got I got to my first fleet assignment and I didn't have a platoon sergeant. The, the, the previous one had left and it was going to there wouldn't even there was a, a plan to maybe get a guy. And so I'm a second lieutenant by myself with a bunch of one deployment salty lance corporals um, who've been to Okinawa for six months. And so they're war heroes. And yeah. a couple of them were running roughshod over me as a fact. I mean, they were just snowing me on some stuff or no, sir, that's not how we do it. See, it's, it's like this. And yeah. I was like, oh, you're snipers. You must know. Yeah. Um, the and, substitute teacher that doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and look, some, again, some of those guys absolutely did know. And some of those guys are, are, are dear friends today, but some of them were full of shit. Yeah. And I got uh, my platoon sergeant, Mike Kurtzweil showed up and it, it was like something out of a movie. Um, our, our platoon spaces were an old squad bay. And the, in the afternoon, the sun would come in one side of the squad bay, just, you know, brutally. And we had an appointment. He's going to drive over from the other side of, Oahu to meet me for the first time and we're going to talk and this is in the days of starch camis and, and highly polished jungle boots and uh, <laughs> and this guy about six foot two thin comes walking in just like you can hear the, the starch crackling in his uniform the sun hits the toe of the boots it's like I was blinded I mean yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and and there's Staff Sergeant Kurtzwa and he comes in, and I'm a 22-year-old second lieutenant, and he's a probably 35-year-old staff sergeant, E6 in the Marine Corps, um, who had taken five, who'd gotten out, had a five-year break. But this guy was meritorious through every, every rank through E6, prior drill instructor, sniper, just an amazing dude. And it's like he got up every morning and went, how do I make this young man a successful officer? Mm -hmm. And how do I act like my ideas are his ideas and give him credit for them? And I remember him saying to me, like, uh, okay, sir. And it was, I mean, he was professional to the T. If he was drinking, he got more professional. Like he stood at, at parade rest when he was talking to me and talked in the third person if he'd had a few drinks. Um and which was rare that that he ever, you know, relaxed enough to have a few drinks. But uh we got super tight. And we really built a mutual admiration society, but I definitely hero worshiped him. And he was so imbued with my success. And he was so imbued with blowing me up for the platoon. Um, and he, I remember him saying to me, sir, what is your pet peeve? And I hadn't been in the Marine Corps long enough to have a pet peeve. I, I, I didn't even know how to answer that question, but I came up with some bullshit. And he was like, okay, that stops tomorrow. And the next thing you know, I mean, our Marines had five formations a day. He took all their cool guy gear away from them. And then slowly they earned it back when yeah. they had become genuine cool guys. And so he built this. He built me. He built the platoon. He built all of us. And then he pointed to me like I was the guy behind it all. Mm -hmm. um, but he also had no problem coaching me. Yeah. And, and, and he just he was just an amazing guy. 
fast forward a few years, actually in Fort Recon, I had the antithesis of it. Um, and I nearly got an ulcer um, before we relieved that guy. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it, it, I was waking up with gut pains every night. Like, I, I didn't want to believe a guy. Now, that's, yeah. Some some yeah. guys can cut a, per, a guy's head off, like, you know, Monday morning and move on <laughs> with it. I'm mm. not that guy. Um, I, I, I care a little too much about people and, and their feelings. But um, anyway, after after having a Mike Kurtzwell, and, and frankly, by reputation, John's a, a, a Mike Kurtzwell. People that know, know. Um, and, and so don't believe him entirely when he's saying he, he didn't do everything he could to set a guy up for success. <laughs> Some officers could still fail him despite his best efforts. <laughs> John, I want I want to kind of um, I want to kind of switch it up a little bit uh, and talk about something else. It's kind of along those lines, but it's like. I do want to, like I said, I do want to talk about some transition stuff, but there's like a, a, a pathway to the transition stuff and getting right. out of the military. Right now, like we've kind of talked about the failing and the success and all these different things officer enlisted. This is one that I've had a conversation with over the last couple of weeks. And I've spent a lot of time thinking and trying to write it out and like communicate it. I've had conversations with some O's and some E's about it. Um, it's that leadership and that mentoring thing. As we work through our career and we work towards the point where we get to retire. Uh, and we get to hang out at uh, Mexican restaurants that are closed. This is fantastic, by the way. I didn't think I said that in the intro, but that's where you guys are. It's fantastic. Um, but like, sorry for the traffic noise. I can't like seriously. I think I've heard a car one time. That's it. Like it's it's okay, great. Um, but it's it's that it's leadership and mentorship, right? And it's that blurred line between the two. In my opinion, it's like what I've noticed over the years, it's like, we must check a box on mentoring. Uh, and we'll do this through uh, just, you know, telling somebody that we're developing, that we're leading them in this direction. Really, we're just telling them something and then moving on and not really paying attention or evolving that. Right. But there's that blurred line between like leading and mentoring, you know? And I think from our perspective, from the ease perspective and from the senior e perspective, if you will, um, I don't think it's always easy to know when you're supposed to do which one. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people would say that just being a good leader is one, right? That's showing, setting an example and showing that, hey, here's what you're supposed to do. But, uh, and, and there's certainly goodness in that. You know, I think the kind of the Marine Corps that you know, we grew up in, or I know, is the, there wasn't a whole lot of, of, hey, you know, young sergeant, sit down and let me counselor you coach you you know on on how you can be better it was just do what i do and and don't suck at it um i think uh because of that you know once i became a platoon sergeant and had a you know got a direct responsibility to work with uh an officer you know where we shared the you know the the leadership responsibility i think um you know that was the first taste of it that hey you know i've got you know we've got to do something different i just can't lead by example i've got to like sit down and like, we have to talk um, i think it's i think it's probably stronger on the officer side that the idea that you have a, a whatever y'all call them a sugar daddy or whatever you know yeah. a uh, you know some some senior mentor you know that you actually talk uh understand that, that that's the relationship you know and i've Sometimes envious of that, you see, like you know, battalion commander. That's that. Hey, I've got. Uh, we get all my captains, and we'll, you know, like we'll talk. Um, you know, I don't. I talk to uh, our instructors now, where I where I work, about, and and the the, the students as well. 
that uh, it's a it's a really good feeling, you know, when when somebody comes up and it's like, hey, you know, I, I really you know would appreciate it if you you know can I, I come to you and ask you questions, you know, you don't have to say, hey, you know, can you be will you be my mentor, right? You know, we, yeah. we sometimes have a problem with that, but uh, you know, you know, when I when this happened to me, I'm like, oh shit, you know, I feel pretty good about myself, right? And I certainly, you know, I will I'll do whatever whatever I can. Um, you know, formalized. I think some other services might have a little, little different formalization of a of a mentorship process. Um, and being in the uh, government civilian now, there's the potential you, you can request an, an official mentor. Um, but I think I think it's becoming a little more prevalent. Yeah, I think people are a little more willing to. Uh, and I think there's a recognition that right now there's a lot of lessons that are were learned over you know hard over 20 years of, of war that are slowly starting to fade away. So yeah, um, I would, you know, highly encourage anybody, you know, to, to find somebody that you, you know, look up to, admire, respect, and, and just ask the question, Hey man, you know, will you be my mentor or, you know, Hey, can I hit you up with questions from time to time? Do you have some time to, to talk, to just bounce things off of? Yeah. Yeah. We have to be willing to actually ask that. I know I got, I got lucky. And for the last couple of years inside of, imagine this, it's funny, like the Marine Corps, you guys do have certain things that I'm sure you could just like, tear shreds off of on things that you guys fail at. But one thing you guys do very well is that development over time. Right. So like I had a gunny that just retired and that gunny was like, you know, does it, that was a, you know, for, for you guys, you'd be like, ah, oh, this is terrible. Like we, we still called him gunny, even though he'd swapped over and become an air force guy. Right. We still called him gunny. Like that was, I mean, also he was a gunner. He was a door gunner and he was also a gunnery sergeant. So it was like, he was never going to live that one down. But I would sit in his office and let him just talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. And I would every now and then ask a question and then he would mentor me and he's gone now. And I look at it and I go, man, over the last like four months, pretty sure I'm fucking regressing because I don't have him to like make me better and to like constant. So it's like, I'm thinking about little things and I'm like, yeah, I bet Gunny would look at that with this perspective. And he's still mentoring me, even though he's not here, but it's like a, that's a real thing where I, I do think like, it, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it's a real thing that, but that fine line between leadership and mentorship, it's like, oh, leading is it's not easy, but it's almost like it becomes ingrained in us. Cause that's a word that becomes ingrained in us. And it's like, oh, we lead, we, let's show you how to do this and show you how to do this. And this leads to that. And then this is the result. And this gets this, and we can do this when we start getting into that mentor, especially on the East side, but when we get into that mentoring it is a little bit more of like a foreign thing where it's like, oh shit. Like we almost blur the line back to leadership instead of trying to mentor. If that makes sense. I don't know if it does, but it, it seems like I'm noticing it. I do notice it on the E compared to the O side, you know, in a different way. Yeah. I, I don't, if you're looking for me to comment on that, I will. Um, it, it is, there's definitely more of a career development mentality on the officer side. Um, and I don't know the why of that, to be perfectly honest, other than maybe it's just the functional difference of being what is ultimately a contract employee for, you know, 36 to 48 months of time versus I've been, quote, career designated. I am at least mm -hmm. theoretically now a company man after that first four years. Certainly at the 10 year mark, I'm, I'm probably on the team. Um, I don't know how the blended retirement system changes that. I don't. There's definitely some cultural shift. I see happening in the military that is not what you asked about at all. Um, but I do think it's happening. It's happening uh, for, for good or ill. I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, but as far as the mentoring goes, yeah, it's a more formal process on the officer side. Uh, I think one, that's just a function of being less, right? So if I'm a lieutenant working for a captain and I'm one of three lieutenants working for that captain, that captain has more time and frankly uh, is expected as an officer, like as a reflection of that officer, whether or not he or she is mentoring the officers working with and, and under them. Um, and then whether they do it well. You know, you note who people go to and who people don't go to. You note who is in it to win it for themselves and who is in it to move the next crop forward. You know, and I've, I've said it to you before. I learned this late in the game from a guy who absolutely exhibited some of the best traits I've seen in an officer uh, when I worked for him. Me as an 05, him as an 06. Um, but he, he said, you know, a unit that doesn't care if its people get promoted is a shitty unit, mm-hmm. meaning it, which which means de facto it has a shitty commander. Yes, um, I know, agree. And so I, I've passed that technique. I'm reti- now retired. I have passed one of the techniques that he taught me to guys who were still in the fight as majors and who are still coming up. One of the things he did uh, every other week in the ops and intel meeting, I, and I was responsible for this as the XO, the S1 section had to produce a chart that showed the status of every staff non-commissioned officer in the organization towards promotion of the next rank. And it was just your simple Marine Corps stoplight chart, red, yellow, green, Um, (laughs) you know, and does he or she have the correct PME done? Does he or she have the correct next career billet planned? Have we done the right things? And have we set that individual up for success? So any failure can belong largely to them. Yeah. But, (laughs) and, and there were some people, I watched him pull some Marines, over the promotion line, almost against their will. Uh, yeah. But, but he cared. And that has long-term implications that aren't cool to talk about. But if you're a careerist, you know, the monetary difference between me retiring as an 05 and me retiring as an 06 is like $1,100 a month. Yeah. You know, carry that out over a year. That's 12000 or $12,000, uh, $13,200 a month. Carry that out over, uh, over 30 years, that's, I'm not good at math, a lot of money. Like half a million dollars. That's a lot of money. That's the enlisted way to say it right there. Yeah. That's me and John. That's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck a lot of money right there. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's it's a, definitely a matter of scale. You know, as a platoon sergeant with, with 30 guys, um, you know, and then there's there's obviously subordinate leaders. I think it, it probably happens. And of course, we got platoon, you have team leaders. So there was, you know, I don't know that I ever considered you know, setting down with mentorship, I just considered it kind of my job, you know, or leadership. Um, so I think there's a little more of a distinction. And I think it's becoming more prevalent. Uh, there's more organizations in the DOD are starting to institute actual coaching programs. Uh, you know, I've, mine is doing that. And I've had the pleasure of getting like certified as a, whatever you want to call it, human performance, uh, leadership, yeah. life coach, whatever. Um, and it's it's you know, I'm able to enjoy it, seeing it for what it is, rather than just hey, it's my my job of leadership. Right? That's right. Yeah. There's a a guy I really think you ought to have on the show if he'll do it. Um, and talk about another senior guy who taught me a lot when I was a senior guy. Yeah. Um, is now retired Sergeant Major Roger Griffith, and and Griff was his last job was as the Sergeant Major of the Marine Raider Regiment. Um, and Griff is the realist of real deals and, and I love him to death. You know, they, they really tried to put him on the path towards being a general officer's sergeant major, 
And as, yeah. as Griff said, I, I didn't want to follow some three-star around, be some teenage prom queen. Um, <laughs> and, and I got something from that. But what he, he told me when he was a platoon sergeant, you know, is, which is kind of the first point at which an enlisted Marine has authority, maybe squad leader, but yeah, levels. But, yeah. but real, you know, you got 39 romper stompers underneath you, plus attachments and whatever. And his, he's like, look, I, I let no one, except me, the squad leaders, and the platoon guy talk to the platoon commander. Which, if you think about it, means, I mean, Griff was making a 22-year-old almost untouchable, like a god, to yeah. a bunch of 18-year-olds. And he's like, the reason I did that is because I wanted the 18-year-olds to see the squad leaders had the, the authority and the permission to talk to that person. And I want them to look up at that and aspire to be someone who's allowed to talk to that person. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he, and, and he ran an infantry platoon, like tight, it was as tight as it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but, but I thought about that, like how Griff was building a structure within his platoon and how, you know, and simultaneously he said to the Lieutenant, you're not allowed to talk to anyone below the, below the squad leaders. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it'll weaken you in their eyes. And I can remember Mike Kurtzweil saying to me one time, late on a Friday, we were deployed and the Marines were cleaning weapons after a week in the field. And it was like, I don't know, seven o'clock. And I'm sitting in my office and he's like, sure, go home or back to the barracks. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I won't leave until the Marines are done. It, that's how this works. And he's like, sure, they're fucking with you. They have nowhere to be. So yeah. they're just going to yeah. clean guns all night long. Just yeah. to make you sit here. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I did not understand that. <laughs> I will now leave. I will now leave. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll do what you told me to do. Because I didn't understand the dynamic at work here. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, let again, let an expert be an expert. Um, and, and let the person who's in charge be in charge of what they're in charge of. Know your role, whether you're an officer or an enlisted. Yeah. Damn right. I, uh, Gunny, I'll give you one last Gunny. I don't want to go switch over to something. I got to read something out before I switch over to it. But um, two years ago, I don't know, we're we're bringing in all the water, right? Because we obviously we got to fly with a shit ton of water and everything else, like wherever you're going. And so we're just cases upon cases upon cases, right? And so we stacked this entire vehicle. I don't know. There's 40 cases of water or whatever. We got to just throw it in the in the locker room and then we grab it as we go out. And so we bring it. And one of the O's comes down and uh, starts to help. Gunny was like, "Hey, uh, sir, uh, appreciate you coming down to help, but uh, you got things to do. Go back to." The He's like, "No, nah, I don't mind to help, Gunny." He's like, "Nope, uh, if you wouldn't mind, sir, please. Uh, you know, you can go. We, we got this. You know, we we uh we have this one." And he was like, "No, it's I had nothing going on upstairs." And he's like, "Sir, uh, respectfully, I would appreciate it if you would leave now." <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh, okay. You could kind of tell Gunny did the whole, like he pulled his top down, like squared, <laughs> squared up even more, pulled the shoulders back a little bit. And he just kind of like, he didn't knife hand, but he like used the knife hand as a guide towards pointing towards the hallway. Like <laughs> or if you would kind of, you know, and like he did, it was yeah. perfect. And, uh, and he was like, okay. And this, oh, used to be an E and he's made the swap over. Right. But he was like, okay. And he went back upstairs and I just, I was like that, that's it. And he's just, when they left, he was like, don't ever let them do that again. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Fast forward to a last year. So that was probably three years ago. Fast forward to last year. We were at a um, three-week training down in, down in Herbie. And I was the 
platoon sergeant, right? And we have, you know, we have platoon leader and basically there's a ton of airmen. And then there's a couple lieutenants and then an e, and you know, I'm, it's me as an E7 and I've got a, a, a major, an 04. And we're rolling up the mats. It's combatives in the morning, we're rolling up the mats. And there's some captain, there's a, uh, two captains. And so they take the squads and, and anyway, so captain's like cleaning the mats. Uh, I like saw it all. And I saw it. And I was like, stop, everybody stop where the fuck you're at. And I was like, somebody get that fucking mop from that captain. And he's like, I'm good. So I got it. I can do it. Like I can clean a mat like everybody else. I was like, I'm not saying you can't clean a mat, but there's shit that you can do that airmen can't do. And I was like, airmen, you need to look at this. You need to always be observant and look around and realize that is not a thing we need the captain to be doing. He can be going and doing something that you can't do. You need to step up and get him off of that. And then later the captain came up and I was like, sir, there's a gunny somewhere. That if I'd have let you clean that mat, he would have choked me out when he saw me <laughs> next time. Like he like looked at me, but I but I remember that I was just like, we have to do like we have like these little things, these isms, right? These little creepy things that are inside of our world. And I remember that I was, like, I'll never forget that about Gunny. Like the way I, I did, ne- I never was able to perform the knife hand escort out of the area. I couldn't do that one. Uh, I just put my hands on my hips and tried my best. It didn't work. But uh, but yeah, but like that little silly thing of like. That that O can go do something else. We can clean these fucking mats. Like well, the last thing I'll say on this topic, um, unless you tell me to do something else, uh, <laughs> is when I was in Iraq, I lived in my platoon spaces. So there were the twenty five man force recon platoon, and and I was like, I've always been a you know live with the guys, do with the guys, train with the guys kind of guy. So the platoon sergeant and I moved in, and, and there was a little shed outside. The, the area where we live and one of my, the guy who's now one of my best dearest friends in the world, then a sergeant came to me. He's like, Hey dude, you and the platoon sergeant need to move out there. And I was like, no, nah, man, no, no, no. I'll share the same space as you guys. I live just like you guys. He's like, and he said it with great love, you know, he said, because if it was just the two of us, it was a very tight thing. He goes, bro, you're our boss. Sometimes we need to motherfuck you. Yeah. And if you're sitting here, we can't motherfuck you. That's right. And I was like, oh, couldn't move into the shed, but we built walls. Yeah. Around our little tiny corner. And the platoon sergeant and I lived in this little room that was walled off from everybody else. And it it was just to give those guys some sort of space. I also made it a point to stay out of our living area enough to give those guys time to go, you believe the fuck you did now? Yeah. Um, That's right. You know, that's real. That's real shit. That's real shit. So uh, one of the good things that benefits me and for obviously listeners is that I'm in the, I'm in that last year, that transition window, right? I'm doing taps. I'm doing all the retirement stuff. You guys have already retired. And I do want to talk about that. That's, that's where I wanted to lead this conversation to, uh, which is obviously why I wanted to have on the secondhand lions. Uh, you know, you two gentlemen, um, I only get to pick because I'm, I'm in that retirement window. So once I'm retired, I'm officially like, then I'm one of you. So like, I'm like, man, I only have a short window where I can harass the retirees or the retired before <laughs> I'm one of them. So it's like a very small window where everybody and knows. It's I'm a real leaving. thing. Get ready for it. It's, it's a psychological shift. And, and I, and that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about. Right. But before I do, I actually wanted to read something and I have to give credit where credit is due. So uh, at the moment worth, I'm sitting here with a brand new book to read for a handful of feathers. Such a good book. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this book. Uh, And you put it up the other day and it said introduction by Jim Harrison. So I instantly bought it because 
anything Jim Harrison uh, and uh, Thomas McGuane, uh, individuals like that, I'm a big fan of. So I love to read their work. Uh, and so, I, of course, I bought it for the introduction. But I was going to read something before we get into the whole, like, what should people know in that process, that psychological shift, that the the financial shifts, that any different things. But I actually wanted to uh, this one little excerpt from Jim Harrison in the introduction And it just says, when you are younger, you waste a great deal of time figuring out whether you are good or not. Later, uh, later on, you know perfectly well, good or bad or indifferent, and the problem drifts away. I was like, "Mm, that's good. That's really good. So with that, I ask, like, what should we be looking at? What should people like myself uh, be thinking about when we're making that transition? What, what the guy who's been in for four years, the gal who's been in for eight and decides to bounce out. I don't know, but like it is a real transition and it's something we need to be ready for. Yeah. I think like any, any strict advice on how to retire that I have is, is so dated that it's, is to be worthless. Um, but what I do think is, is important. And I was listening to a, a podcast the other day that made me, and then when it got your text to, about what you wanted to talk about it, it uh, brought it back. It was, uh, it was a, buddy of mine, Preston, Dr. Preston Klein has a podcast called the Mission Critical Team Institute, and he was interviewing Sebastian Younger, and uh, they were talking about a different topic, but it uh, came up that, you know, uh, the military is really one of the few opportunities where a young person can can really test themselves, go through an initiation process, right? And that used to be common, you know, throughout the world, and First, you reach a certain age, something happens, you know, you're, you're initiated into the adult world. You know, there's places, plenty, you know, uh, frats, fraternities and things like that, that, you know, try to try, you know, serve as that. But the military is really the last place where you come in, you know, you're going to boot camp regardless of the branch, right? And you come out a, an entirely different person. That's right. Um, and then, you know, you spend your time. And I sometimes I think it's, it's more, uh, impactful you know if you only spend four years in in a lot of ways or one enlistment because when you get out you're again moving into it you know back into the world that you came from but you're not the same person remotely right yeah um, and i think that the challenge with that is been kind of exacerbated because now we've got a couple of different groups right we've got the people that were in during you know wartime and either got to do the you know went to war you know either did or did not do the things that they wanted to do in war, right? They either, you know, and we, we put a lot of uh, restrictions on ourselves. Like, yeah, you, did you serve military? Yeah, but did you go to war? Well, yeah, I went to war, but you went to war, but did you? Did, did you, but did you did do this? Right? Yeah, exactly. Anybody, right? So there's you know, the idea of what people thought war was going to be and whether they, they achieved that or not. Um and then there's now a crew of people who came in kind of at the tail end, you know, for, for one deployment, expecting something and not finding that thing. And now I think it's just, it's exacerbated by our, in, in most, like, if you look back and like you read Joseph Campbell or read, um, you know, a lot of warrior cultures in the past, where you would come home from war and there was a, uh, what Sebastian Younger called the decommissioning process. Mm-hmm. There was like the, the, uh, you know, come back from World War One, you know, World War Two. There's ticker tape parades, and it's kind of saying, "Hey, you you went off on behalf of our our nation. You did these things for us. Now, you know, we're accepting. You know, we're kind of sharing in some of the burden. 
and now you're re-entering society, not as a warrior because we don't need you to be. Right. You know? And I think that's there's we've got a lot of people that aren't aren't taking off the the you know the uniform, you know, or or, or they're replacing it with you know a Punisher hat and a, a yeah, and, and nothing against people you know proudly wearing their their you know, recognitions of their service. But I, I feel like, you know, one, we have a society that's not really accepting any any responsibility for sending people to war. Mm-hmm. I think we have people who are not, uh, you know, probably bitched and moaned the, the entire four years they were in. But, you know, you know, the second that they're out, recognize that, hey, I was a part of something that uh, I'm unlikely to find again. That's right. You know? And uh, so they don't want to you know, let it go. So, you know, how do I find, you know, after World War II, you know, everybody would go to the VFW, you know, and you yeah. go to the VFW and you even, even Vietnam, you know, I think there's, there was some mechanisms that we put in place to, uh, to help ease the transition that I don't think exist today. Mm. So I, I think, uh, if, you know, to turn that into a bit of advice, you know, I, I'm a, a bad, again, a bad, First to talk because I really never left. Right, I, I retired 15 years ago, and I kind of stayed around the same people. And then, but uh, you know, the but you're the viewed worst, in a different way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which the, is a it good took me thing. a long, a long time to, to to get that into my head. But probably the worst advice I ever got in my life. I was thinking about this. My dad used to always say when I was a kid, like, "Hey, your your school days, the best days of your life." And I'm like, God, what a fucking pathetic thing to tell a kid, right? You know, <laughs> like, you know, so by 17, I'm done. Uh, and I, I decided early on, I'm like, you know, there's no way in hell I'm going to allow that to be the case, right? And I don't, uh, it's certainly easy to look back and say that, you know, time in the Marine Corps was among the best days of my life. But I'm damned, you know, if I'm going to to say that, you know, I'm not going to have, you know, better better times, you know, there's... So my advice again would be to you know one find the you know there's value in you know when guys go and do hike the Appalachian Trail or do yeah. whatever there's value in some sort of you know kind of ritualistic you know uh, stepping away from your time in the military whether that's four years or forty um, you know there's value in finding another community you know or a communitas like a group of like-minded people that that you know, maybe you know, share that experience, uh, but, you know, maybe share some other, you know, experience. And then, uh, you know, recognizing that your best days aren't behind you, you know. That's right. So that's my long-winded response to that. Uh, That's, it's important though. That's really, that's why I'm asking those questions, right? It's why I want to know, because I want to prepare for it. And I'm, and I'll be completely honest and tell and tell people so they hear it. If it's somebody that works for me and they hear this, or works with me, or I work for and they hear this, they can take it. Or if it's somebody else, I'm very scared right now. I'm very appreciative right now, more appreciative than I've ever been in my entire career because I'm actually like looking at everything with a different perspective. And I'm like, wow, this is my last. This may be my last chance to mentor this person. This may be my last chance to give this person a letter of recommendation, or this may be my last chance to help them with this thing. And so I'm very appreciative and I'm terrified because it's like, holy shit, man, like this has been my adult life. I now have to make this transition. And it is a very conscious thing. And it's also, I'm wildly excited and and fucking ready to be done. So it's like these weird, you know, it's that whole stretch. That's why I ask because it's important. And 
uh, worth, I want to leave it with you. I, I want to say something that you said also in the service, though. Carmel Lantis once, uh, he was talking at this, I think it was the Sacramento Library. And he said one of the things that he noticed that's changed over time, this is kind of when you were talking about the Punisher hat and stuff, is he's like, when he was in, they used to say during their time in service. And now he hears a lot of people say during their time in the military. And I thought about that and I was like, that's a, he's like, that always gave him a different dynamic. It always made him look at his time differently. It always made him look at it in a different way. His time in service instead of his time in the military. And I was like, man, that's a good, I've really taken that to heart and tried to like, think about that over, you know, since I first saw that. And I don't know, I, that, that sticks with me. So I, I try to think about that when I get ready to retire is that I don't want to say I'm leaving the military. I'm leaving this service for another one. So, but worth, I'll, I'll shut up now and pass it on to you. I mean, honestly, I could monologue on this for an hour or two, and I'm not gonna. Um, but one, I agree with Marlanis. Two, I told you, I think there's a cultural shift ongoing. I blame the GWAT and YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that sounds like a cranky old guy that just turned 50 complaining about these kids with their social medias and their TikToks and my face pages. Um, and it's not that. It's me saying... There's a generation of young people, primarily male, who grew up watching YouTube videos from Sangin and Fallujah and thinking that's what their military experience is going to do. And I had a Marine Raider tell me yesterday, uh, yeah, it's a problem in our culture because guys are getting out because they're not getting what they want. Mm -hmm. Well, that goes back to Marlanis' point of service and then selfless service. Why did you join? As I say this, I'm absolutely hypocritical. And I, you know, I wrote a piece called on hypocrisy and, and I acknowledge fully we're, I'm, we're all hypocrites. I'm a huge hypocrite. So I got out at, after my first four years and went back into active duty eight years later. And almost all of that was fundamentally selfish. I wanted something I didn't get in the first four years, eight years later, the wars were on. I just come back from Iraq and I was like, yep, I'm going back to do this full time. I want that, you know, I did Jones for that. Um, you know, and I, I would not describe myself as a combat junkie at all. There are those people. I, I was more a guy who couldn't stand getting up in the morning and feel like somebody else was putting out more than I was and giving more than I was. So in a sense, I would say I was a service junkie a little bit, but that sounds way more uh, philanthropic than it really was. It was a selfish thing for me. Um, and, and so it, it was only I was probably a major before my service became selfless. Mm. Um, and I realized that my role as a service member is to do whatever the hell is needed, not whatever the hell I want. And, yeah. and, and I'm not going to make any broad brush accusations about any you know generation or, or now kids into service these days, because I believe they joined for fundamentally the same reason. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to serve. They want to do something important. Now to John's point, I think it's, it is sad. I'm not going to characterize it as anything but sad. When that four years or that 40 years that was bigger than themselves and was an important thing in their and our lives is the only thing in their life. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a guy, I'm not going to go into details for fear he might listen to this and recognize himself, but there's a guy that I tangentially know who that's very evident with him. And mm -hmm. that, you know, and and that has bigger and bigger and bigger effects, right? I I I have noticed within the GWAT vets and it goes all the way up to the, at least the level of 06. Um, there has become a definite understandable degradation in the faith and in institutions in this country. 
Yes. Um, 100% a, agree. And that's a bad thing, whether it's warranted or not. You know, I'm going to take the root causality out of it and say that it is happening is a bad, bad thing. That then allows, and I'm just going to really piss somebody off here, uh, when dumb people can grab onto things that may be real or may have some genuine impetus behind them, but they are not fully capable of intellectualizing what's happening, then you end up with things like people inside the Capitol on January 6th. That's exactly right. Somebody just turned off this podcast, and that's okay. Um, that's okay. I don't want them to hang out if they don't want to. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, but, but that's a case. Again, doesn't mean there's not legitimate political grievances, yeah. you know, and drivers of discontent. I, I'm not castigating anyone's beliefs there. I am saying how we comport ourselves as American citizens does matter. Um, and, and as you move into transition and start talking about that sort of thing, I have watched some people I once respected very, very deeply become mm-hmm. dumb people. Yes. And I think a lot of that is because they're holding on to some sense of meaning they believe that they had when they were in the military. And to steal from John, you know, if, if any time in your life was the best time in your life, you're screwing this up. And you really right. need to be on an upward trajectory until you, you blink out one day, um, if you can. Granted, finances, family, sickness, whatever, those things all apply. But... A uh, week before last, I was in Tallahassee, Florida, hunting quail, not far from where, and I identify the book, not far from where the guy who wrote uh, for a, a handful of feathers, Guy de la Valine, um, that's the book you were quoting at the start of this yep. for people that don't know, um, not far from where he lives. It was an amazing experience. Now, 27-year-old me thought you could only have an amazing experience with an offset hey-ho, you know, 17,000 feet. You know, or scuba diving or blowing down doors and shooting stuff. 50 year old me goes, dude, I saw a cougar the other day. Yeah. Like, I was out in a, on an island that you can only get to by a boat and I saw a cougar. Yeah. How bad is that? Hell you know, yeah. So I was listening to a podcast yesterday about how um, the, the experience of awe has an almost psychedelic effect. And so this PhD at Berkeley was saying, you know, talking about everybody's getting into psychedelics. That's another thing I see in the vet community. Not question it. Definitely having some people I know. Um, but that you can experience that same thing by gardening. You know, you're yeah. really into gardening and your flowers grow and you're like, holy shit. You know, John right. and I talking about thing today. You know, I mean, however you develop that off. So I would say to people transition, don't lose your sense of wonder. Don't lose your sense of awe. And don't sit around going, well, I used to do this. Okay, cool. Yeah. I got a, a buddy who, who works at, at the Marsoc headquarters. And I met him just as he was retiring from Army Special Forces. He was a warrant officer. And he came to work for us as a civilian. And he's like, yeah, I used to be a Green Beret. Before that, I was an electrician. Now mm-hmm. I'm a government civilian. None of them are better or worse than the other. Just things I did. That's right. I think that's a good way to approach transition. Yeah, I think to you know, pin all of your hopes on, on something that's in the past is, is massively self-limiting. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, so I would, you know, my advice would be, you know, if you can, if you're retiring and you can take a block of time and, and do something 
that you've always wanted to do, you know, like I, I wish I would have done was I hike the AT, you know, three mm. or four months and, and go out and hike. Um, you know, something that's one kind of demarcates the, the, the time you spend in uniform and the time, you know, now this, this second next chapter in your life, you know, that's not an option for everybody to take six months and hike. Uh, but whatever it is, you know, find something, you know, take up a new hobby, do something new to kind of commemorate that, hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I took up woodworking. I got really in for a while into yeah. uh, woodworking. Then I got really into running ultra marathons with Worth. Uh, and I still, you know, get into the things, right? Because I just, I think, uh, you know, recognize that you can continue to have a passion for, for learning new, you know, new things, you know, long into, uh, you could be an old dog and, and learn new tricks, a secondhand lion, right? And still, That's right. Uh, still have some fun occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I feel like I see uh, so many people and, and I, uh, who, who kind of do that, this like bro bet or the, you know, the whatever uh, you want to want to call it. And I think, you know, they're, they're looking for a community. You know, they want to be back in the military, but they can't be back in the military. So, you know, that leads to, you know, these, these, community that leads to you know people storming the capital that leads to yeah. um, you know or it can lead to something great you know there's, there's right. plenty of people doing you know, amazing things we've got uh retired raiders that are, that are you know i see every day that are doing you know such start phenomenal businesses doing you know phenomenal things so that would be i, I would uh and it, it really hit when uh like i said i was listening to that pod, uh, podcast and sebastian younger was talking about the what they called uh calls was it demilitarization but it was um i forget what the term he used but they you know warrior tribes used to have a a process by which they yeah. kind of disarm uh, they it's not healthy or um useful to have a bunch of warriors running around in a polite society all right yeah, when you correct. hang up uh, when you hang up your 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 rifle and your um you know your uniform you know, to, America doesn't need you to be a, a, a warrior anymore. You know, now America yeah. needs you to be a teacher or a, a citizen or a doctor <laughs> or whatever the fuck you want to be, right? Or a you know a um you know a hitchhiker. I don't yeah. know. It doesn't matter what it is, but uh, just do it well. Yeah, just, just do, do it really well. That's right. Yeah, and recognize do do it with the the recognition that you know you have selflessly served your your country for a period of time, and uh, you know that's something no one could ever take away from you that's right but, yeah it doesn't have to define you from you know for the remainder of your days even that's right. more so it's a just you're doing a disservice to yourself if it does okay like, hey, I, I got a raider sticker on my truck i got a, a force recon sticker on my truck i'm i'm proud of that i got a marine corps sticker on my truck like i'm proud of my service they're small they're intentionally little itty bitty stickers in the lower left hand corner where the cops will see them um, that's right but, <laughs> But but they're there, and so I'm not telling people at all not to be proud. But I think back to even back when I was a guy who could not envision doing anything but this, and this was my entire identity. It was so wrapped up in it, um, and especially when I was a reservist. I was working as a, as a pharmaceutical salesman, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm a pharmaceutical salesman. But one weekend a month, this is what I do. <laughs> um, you know, and, I could, and when you realize, like, you're spending all your life waiting for that one weekend so you can do that thing, you need to just go do that thing. Yeah, And then when that thing was no longer what I needed all the time, I needed to figure out what the next thing was. And I remember I had a, a, my active duty operations chief when I was a reservist as the opso for a reserve unit was a guy named Ron Geiger. And Ron is, 
Chad just made it. Oh my God, Ron face. Um, Ron was known for, he was an insane triathlete. I mean, he was incredibly fit. He had beat cancer and could just, he, he would run you till you died. He could swim you till you died. He was a, he was also a good dude. It was everything a staff member commissioner officer should be. And he was known kind of Marine Corps wide for the speed with which he could change magazines in a 45 um, wow. while firing. I mean, he, he, I mean so he's, he's the full damn video, right? He's a straight up killer. He's incredibly fit. He's a tough guy. He's smart. He's all the things. And I was like, you know, hey, Gunny, then a Gunny, what are you, you going to do when you retire? And back then it was like, you know, whatever, like hard guy job you were going to do after. This was in the early days of Blackwater and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and he's like, I think when I hang up the guns, I'm done. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. When I, when I hang it up, I'm, I'm going to do something else. And That's right. He's going on to be awesome at other stuff. That's right. Um, and and I, I, I really think that veterans and the veteran community need to give themselves permission to be awesome at other stuff. Because yep. there is this weird, weird culture of like, you know, all the dudes with the assault life stickers on their trucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are you assaulting? You're a carpenter. That's right. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> what, what, what are you even talking about? It, it, it's turned me as far as being a gun guy, and I used to be a cold, dead hands gun guy. Uh, it's turned me affirmatively into what uh, gun dudes pejoratively call a fud. Um, <laughs> I, I just spent $2,000 on a double barrel shotgun, and it's the only gun I've ever bought new and the only gun I've ever paid an insane amount of money for. Uh, and, and part of that was a uh, yeah, check it out. It, it's actually not a an AR-15 with 97 things that I'll never use hanging off it. That's right. It's a it's a double barrel shotgun I used to shoot quail in Tallahassee, That's right. Florida. Damn right. Um, and I, I just I don't know, man. I don't know where I'm going with that. Other than don't lose yourself in stupid identities. I sometimes feel like the last 27 years never happened because I'm so into what I'm doing now. Yeah. It's like it, that was a dream. It was a great dream. It was fun. And I'm thrilled when I run into dudes from, from those days. I spent an hour talking to two of them yesterday. Um, but what part of what makes that so much fun is they're from that time. And they're guys who are moving into their own, you know, being awesome at the next thing. That's right. And I love talking about that. But I, I don't need to rehash that one time we did that one thing. That's right. Yeah, but just give yourself permission to, you know, to be successful in something else. All of the things that uh, you know made you successful in the military, you know, will make you successful at, at whatever it is that you know. All the lessons that you learned in the military, all the mentorship you received, you know, from people in the military, right. all the mentorship that you gave to people in the military, all of those things combined to make a pretty uh, you know impressive resume, right? Oh uh, yeah, that's applicable to you know brain surgery or or you know, hydroponics. I mean, whatever, whatever it is yeah. that you want to go into, you know, be really good at it. I'm excited to be really good at something else to go completely against aviation and not have anything to do with it. And not like I've had options already. And be like, Hey man, you come do this. We go down range. We do this. I'm like, I'm fucking done. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm excited. I'm excited to be the husband of Katie. I'm really excited about being the husband of Katie. I don't know what that's like. I haven't known what that, has been like for the last 22 years and i'm excited to find out and, and what it's like <laughs> yeah no kidding all right <laughs> I mean, I, i'm married to a katie and i said to yeah. my katie the other night i was like hey this is your decade i, I was mm -hmm. like i don't want to move anywhere i'm really happy where we are but if there's something you want to do that requires us to pick up and go to a place 
Let's okay. Go. You followed me around for, you know, the better part that's of right. two decades. That's right. But that's, that's the transition too. You know, that's, you know, being not gone at all, you know, when you're accustomed to, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, you know, a little transition on the home front on both, you know, on both of your parts, right. Yeah. Recognize that, hey, things are changing a little bit. Roles change, responsibilities change, uh, availability, right. That's right. And I, you need to pay attention to that. Um, I will say when I was retiring, before I was retired, but while I was on terminal leave, um, Kate, my Katie and I noticed, like, we're not communicating the same way we used to. We get a little snappy. We're snapping at each other, and I don't know why. Like, mm-hmm. neither of us could identify. I was like, I'm not mad at you, but you're right. I, I'm shorter with you than normal, and you are shorter with me than normal. And And the base had a program that was basically for folks returning from deployment to kind of learn how to recommunicate with one another. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like six sessions and you did some little worksheets and you talked to other, it wasn't marriage counseling. It was just a, yeah. I don't know, some sort of base program. It's called focus at, at Camp Lejeune. We did that. And we just talked through communication styles and it was during COVID. So we had to do it all via zoom, which was kind of weird, but it, it also gave us a spot to go. Yeah. Well, when worth says X, what I hear is Y. And then I get to go, well, that, I meant C, actually. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and that smoothed out whatever weird bumps we were going over. Yeah. Um, and, and we kind of learned to say sometimes, like, hey, what I think you're saying right now is this. Is that correct? Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great place to stop, guys. I really – I think um, – yeah, I just – I really appreciate you guys coming on and taking the time to do this. Uh, honestly, like it, it means a lot. And I, and I think that's important too, because it's not, yeah, you're talking to me and I'm talking to you guys, but this is for everybody that's listening. And so I think those different things we hit on, I, and I hope people reach out, reach out to uh, to you guys, reach out to me, reach out to Lethal Minds and try to like ask more questions and we could try to figure yeah. out ways to answer more, you know, um, that's that. Where can people find you guys that way? If they want to, if they want to reach out to you, just, I'll let you guys do that and then we'll bail out. Um, thanks. Got. To, I would love it if people would sign up for my Substack that I put out every week. Where yep. I kind of talk about a lot of these things. It's J Daily D A I L A Y dot Substack dot com. Um, it's points. You know, there's contact info on there. You can ask questions or uh, whatever you please. And then I'll uh, and I'd love to come back on. You know, in the the future when my memoir, uh, hopefully this fall, will be coming out. Absolutely. So that uh, that's me. Um, I've got a, a website with an associated email. If people go to www.russellworthparker.com and you can email me at rwp at russellworthparker.com. Um, be patient. I don't check that thing, but about every 10 to 14 days, um, cause that gets a lot of, largely a lot of spam. Yeah. Um, but I do get the occasional email there. Um, you can also, I have an Instagram where I specifically target book recommendations for young service members. Um, and so you can go to at book war with the, the uh, O's are zeros. So B zero zero K W A R. Um, and I record videos, talk about books, whatever. And I'd be happy to answer questions there. There you go. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate it. I follow along with your Substack, and I love it. So there you go. And I follow along with Book War, and I love it. So there you go. Um, appreciate you guys. I really do. I hope you have an incredibly wonderful retired day. 
I'm gonna go make uh, I'm gonna go make breakfast uh, for my girl now and uh, have have some fun. So appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us on. All right, man. Thanks. All right, take it easy, guys. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, Russell Worth Parker and John Daly. Um, super excited that they came on. Thank you so much for joining. Please check out, give us feedback on social media, Lethal Minds. Um, you know, obviously you can, you know, pass this around to other people. Give me some feedback. Hit me up. Tell me where I'm a jackass. Tell me how I, I suck. And then I'll be like probably in, in agreement with you. Uh, and then maybe I'll still disregard you. Maybe I will not. I don't know yet. Um, but yeah, hit us up. We're just trying to do our best. Uh, and, and, and bring this stuff. I'm pretty excited for the uh, upcoming episodes as well. So yeah, get behind them. All right, guys, jazz back out there and uh, get to work, do some shit.